Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we're meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm glad it's not blazing hot in here. It's been a hot couple of days. The Lord is gracious to us. Well, as uh, Pastor Nate said, today is the first day of Holy Week, and it's the day that we remember and we celebrate Jesus riding this young donkey into Jerusalem. And for anyone here who doesn't know, our young ones who were training, like my four kids that I'm training, this is what we know as Palm Sunday, right? This is the day where Jesus fulfilled the passage that Pastor Nate read, Zechariah 9.9. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this is the day that Jesus arrives on this young donkey, and the people are laying palm branches in the street for him to ride over as they sing Hosanna, and they welcome him into Jerusalem. And this is a monumental moment for us as Christians and for the history of the world because of all that will be accomplished in this week, including leading up to and including Resurrection Sunday this next Sunday. And in this series that we've been going through that we've entitled Redemption Accomplished, we've been going through these theological concepts of what was accomplished during this time. What was Jesus doing for us? And we've covered redemption and ransom and propitiation and substitution. And so today, we're going to be discussing reconciliation. But before I go any further, uh, I need prayer and you need prayer. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we are grateful as you have gathered your people. And Lord, as we look at all that you have accomplished for us, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open our minds to understand these things. Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that they would be pliable in your hands, that the seeds that are planted in us today through the power of your living word would take root in our lives. And Lord Jesus, my prayer today is that as we see all that you have done for us, Lord, that we would leave here praising you, and that we would leave here glorifying you, and that we would leave here feeling lighter than when we came because we see what Christ has done for us, and there would be a joy in our week as we walk through this week knowing, Jesus, what you have done for us, this monumental week in our lives. Lord, be with me as I speak, Lord. Would you give me clarity and open all of our ears, we pray, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't think I've done this before, uh, but I have a three-point sermon this morning for you, and all three are alliterated, or they rhyme. I'm not sure the difference, so you can tell me. These words are alienation, initiation, and reconciliation. 
And if you like acrostics better, it's A-I-R, air. It doesn't mean anything, but there you go. Now you'll remember. You know, whenever my kids are fighting, and I'm sure parents, you all do this too, whenever my kids are fighting, my question to them is always the same thing. What happened? What's going on? And if we're going to understand what Jesus has accomplished through reconciliation for us, we first need to see the breakdown in relationship and understand what has happened. And you may remember this from a previous message, but I do this all the time with my kids just to help them understand this. And the, the, the arc of the gospel is that in the beginning, heaven and earth were completely overlapped and man was walking in fellowship with God. And Eden was set to flourish under God's image bearer. There was fellowship. There was unity here. And then through the sin of one man, through the sin of one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and that fellowship between God and man was then broken, and the world was broken, and the cosmos was broken through the sin of this one man. That fellowship, that peace is now gone, and the world is torn. Where God and man were once close, now there's a great divide. And turn with me to uh, Genesis 3, and let's read what happens. We're going to start in verse 8. Let's read what happens here. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. So here we see God looking for Adam, looking for his image bearer that he has been in fellowship with and walking with. But Adam is found doing what? He's hiding. And he's hiding because he's afraid. And he's afraid because he's naked. And he has just declared war on God. Like all who came after him, Adam as our federal head, has decided to be his own king, to make his own decisions, to step out from under the perfect leadership of God and decide what's right in his own eyes. And so with Adam as our federal head, we are now born in opposition to God. We're not people who seek God. We're not people who root for God or desire God but we're opposed to God. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. There are no neutral parties here. There are no unregenerate people who are pro-God. It does not exist. And we who are born of the flesh, we're not born these neutral parties. But we're hostile to God. We don't submit to him. In fact, we can't submit to him. It's our nature, this broken nature that we have. And so we are the offending party here. We're the ones who broke relationship. But there's a barrier on God's side as well. He's a holy and he's a just God. And he can't condone sin or walk with children of darkness. And so there's a price that needs to be paid to pay for the sin that has been committed against God. 
And so we later see in Genesis 3 that God banishes man from the garden, right? It says that he drove out the man and he places a cherubim with a flaming sword in front of it to block the way to the tree of life. Not only has this fellowship been broken, not only has the cosmos been broken, heaven and earth split, but now the way back is blocked off. It's been closed off. And because of man's sin, heaven and earth has been torn apart. The world's broken and man is alienated from God. Now I want to be really clear about something here. In our personal broken relationships of this earth with our family members, with our friends, with our coworkers, what have you, there's typically, if not always, hostility on both sides. That's not to say that there's not an offending party. But what I'm saying here is that we don't always navigate that offense perfectly. I would say we never navigate that offense perfectly. We don't answer perfectly. We don't navigate our hurt perfectly. We don't navigate our pain perfectly. And if we place our human experience of conflict, of broken relationship over our relationship with God, what's going on here, we fail to see his perfect and pursuing love for us. And we can easily slip, in, slip into this thinking that man is like a child who has messed up and now his father just doesn't love him anymore. And like Pastor David illustrated a few weeks ago, we view Jesus then as this, this one who's just holding back God just holding back this enraged father that's so, so angry with us, that doesn't love us anymore, and just wants to unleash his wrath on us. And this kind of thinking misrepresents God, and it misrepresents man in this situation. Though our sin needs to be dealt with, our sin needs to be paid for, for us to again have fellowship with God, God's disposition is not of one of uh, an enraged, angry father, but a loving father that would move at cost to himself, would move in great love, would move in perfect love to restore relationship with us, to restore this relationship that we broke. And likewise, man is not a neutral party just waiting for the anger of God to ease, for him to cool off. But we are actually opposed to God. We are enemies of God. And like I've said already, we're hostile to God. We are the ones warring with God as he is the one who has been offended but is pursuing us with his perfect love. What I want to get across to you is I want you to see that we're the offending party here. We're the ones who broke relationship. We're the ones who sinned against God. And so it's fitting for us as the offending party to be the ones who initiate this reconciliation, who initiate the mending of this relationship. But we can't. And we won't. We're at war with him. And I've said probably 50 times already, we're hostile towards God. But even if we could move towards him, we can't. But even if we could, and we can't, we still have a flaming sword to reckon with. 
we still have judgment for our sin to deal with. And we would have to stand before a holy God, naked, full of sin. And when we see this clearly, we see how deep and how powerful God's love for us is. And though we are the offending party, we see that God is the one who initiates this redemption. We see that God is the one who initiates this reconciliation. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read starting in verse 18. Paul says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. These first five words that I read in verse 18 cannot be overstated. All this is from God. God has taken initiative, Christian, and in complete unity between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit has moved at great expense to himself to reconcile man back to himself. And in this we see the love of God moving. We see the love of God sacrificing the love of God, his nature of love, is the driving force that moves him to accomplish his work and not the other way around. Professor Donald McLeod says it like this, the love of God is the source of the atonement, not its intended outcome. Let me say that to you again. The love of God is the source of the atonement, not its intended outcome. This is to say that the love of God is not a conclusion or a result that God hopes to arrive at, but God's love is the fuel, it's the driving force for him to move on behalf of sinners who are hostile towards him to bring them back into relationship with him. It's his love that drives him towards us. All this is from God, a God who has sinned against, a God who has been rejected, and he has chosen from eternity's past to bear the weight of the punishment upon himself so that those who can no longer approach him may be brought near to him. So we see that because of sin, we've been alienated, right? And we see that God is the one who initiates the move to reconcile us. So what's accomplished in reconciliation and what, how is, that, how is that done? What is Jesus doing in reconciling us and how did he do? How did he accomplish this reconciliation? The short answer, we can see it in uh, verse 19. It says, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Christian, we owed a debt because of our sin that need to be paid for. And that debt has been canceled because of what Christ has done for us, standing in our place and paying that debt for us. God is reconciling the world that has been broken, the cosmos that was broken, the relationship that was broken. Christ is reconciling back to God through his sacrificial work. And this, this, uh, 
reconciliation or this canceling of debt or this peace can't be brought about just by a change of our heart because our debt is already on the books. We're not going to change our attitude, but even if we could, our debt is already there. Our debt's already on the books and needs to be dealt with. And this reconciliation or this peace or this restoring of fellowship can't be also just from God changing his mind or choosing to move from love straight to forgiveness. Because then he wouldn't be a just God. He wouldn't deal with sin the way sin needs to be dealt with, right? And he wouldn't be a holy God because he would be fellowshipping with sin. So the sin needs to be dealt with. The sin needs to be paid for. This debt needs to be paid for, but it needs to be paid for by one who can bear the weight of it. I remember as a kid uh, in Newhall, in Santa Clarita, I lived on this, uh, it was a private driveway. It was like my grandparents were like the first ones to live there. So the street is named after my grandma. It's this long, steep hill that a bunch of you live on now, but then it spits you into my grandma's driveway who lived right next door to me. So I grew up right next to my grandma and grandpa. And then that driveway kind of like turned around her house and took you to, right next to her was my great grandma. So it was like this just mink mountain hill that we all lived on. And so I had these, uh, or we had these two Honda 50s. And so my parents would let me, I'd go down to the very bottom, I don't know, it was like 10 or 12. And I'd go down to the very bottom and just, when I was bored, I just remember doing this all the time, just go all the way down this hill, go all the way back up the hill, up my grandma's driveway, around the house, up to my great grandma's house, turn around, all the way back down, and just terrorize the whole neighborhood. Everybody hated the Honda 50 that's flying up and down the hill. And so I remember one time, I'm riding, I'm doing this thing, and I get to my great grandma's house where I'm supposed to start turning, and right as I'm going through the turn like this, I give it a little too much throttle, which throws me back a little bit, which makes me give it more throttle, which throws me back a little bit, which makes me give it more throttle. Next thing I know, I go full speed into my grandpa's garage door, and I just fold that thing up like aluminum foil, just <laughs> shut the thing up. And so I'm, I'm mortified. Um, I love my grandpa and my dad. They were great men, but they were really, really tough men. And so I was terrified. Uh, and so I go and I tell my dad what had happened. He's like, well, you need to go tell grandpa what you did. So I'm like, kill me now. Um, so I remember I go to my grandpa and he's sitting, my dad's standing behind me. I'm in my grandpa's living room. We walk next door. My dad's standing behind me. I'm standing there like tears in my eyes. I can't get a word out. My grandpa, I remember my grandpa's just sitting on the couch, just looking at me, just smiling. Like my whole world is crumbling and these two older men are like this boy. Uh, and I just grandpa, he ran my motorcycle into your garage. And so it ends up getting resolved. But you know what didn't happen? I never paid for that garage. I was a kid. I was like 10, 10 or 12 years old. I couldn't, I couldn't pay for a new garage. I probably can't pay for one now. The, and don't read too much into this analogy. This analogy falls apart in a thousand different ways. But what I want to get across to you, the simple thing I want to get across to you, is that I could not pay that debt. It was my fault. I did it. It should have been on me. But I didn't cover it. I didn't pay that debt. That debt was paid for me. I got off scot-free, free and clear, because someone else 
sacrificed their work, their time, their money to pay for me. We have a sin, or we have sin and we have a debt that needs to be paid, and we can't pay it. That weight is too much for us to bear, and we need someone to bear that weight for us. If we read, read a little further in 2 Corinthians, we see how that debt is paid, the beauty of how that debt is paid, and we sang it this morning. Verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our reconciliation to God that wipes our debt and erases it from the books was completed, it was completed by Christ, who became sin for us and bore the penalty on the cross so that our debt that was on the books is wiped clean. And this is why justification and reconciliation are synonymous with one another. Christ has bore the penalty of sin upon himself so that our sins, your sins, my sins, can no longer be counted against us. They've already been paid for. Every sin of your past, Christian, every sin of your present, and every sin of your future has been covered by what Christ has done on the cross. Your account has been cleared. That debt has been paid. It's no longer there. And we're no longer, because that debt that we owed kept us from this fellowship with God, we are no longer separated from God. But we can now draw close to him as he reconciles us back to him. The guilty is now declared innocent. The enemy is now called friend. And the outcast is now called son. And it's because of the blood of Christ being spilled on the cross that we can say with confidence that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ has gone before us. He is our Prince of Peace. He is the one who has brought peace between us and the Father. And this was always the plan. God, perfect in love, perfect in justice, reconciling all things back to himself at great cost to himself. And this brings us back to what we remember and what we celebrate today in Palm Sunday. Jesus entering into Jerusalem. You know, as Jesus entered, everybody was expecting the Messiah, right? And they were looking for the Messiah to come as a warrior. For him to come and overthrow this oppressive government. They were looking for a king who would come and bring war upon their enemies. But Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem on a war horse, did he? This king, he came humbly, riding on a young donkey, symbolizing peace. And while the people had their eyes set on the immediate conflict between them and Rome, Jesus had his eyes fixed on the conflict between creation and God. Jesus was going to bring peace there, this cosmic reconciliation. And this kingdom that Jesus brings, it's not what anybody had in mind, right? And we can see that by the reaction. These cheers of Hosanna and praising him 
will soon turn to chants of crucify him, crucify him. But it's that very place on the cross that we remember this coming Friday that Christ accomplished so much for you and for me, Christian. As he hung on that cross, the God of love, the God of perfect justice would unleash his wrath on our sin. But it wasn't you or it wasn't I who was hanging on that cross, but it was his very son who he would unleash his wrath on, who would pay that debt for you and for me. You know, we say it often when we take the table, but it bears repeating here that Jesus drank deeply of the cup of wrath, and he drank completely of the cup of wrath, wrath so that we could drink of the cup of blessing. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. You know, Christian, because of what Christ has done for us, this hostility, this chasm that was between us and our Creator, between us and God. Because of what He has done, where we were once met with a sword, He now welcomes us and we were met with a table. Christ has laid down His life for you, Christian. Christ has gone before you. And though we were enemies to Him, warring with Him, opposed to Him, because of His great love, our triune God has moved towards us. And Christ has laid himself here at this table for you to remind you of what he has accomplished for you, that he has brought peace between you and God the Father. That this fellowship that was once broken is now mended, that we can now draw near to our Father because what of Christ has done for us. But not only that, now that we have this great joy, this peace, we are now ambassadors of this reconciliation to the world around us. This great news that we can proclaim to the world around us, that Christ has erased this debt for those who have faith in him, those who would place their trust in him, you no longer have to be responsible for that debt. Christ will take that debt for you. That's great news. Any one of us would love any silly debt, whether it's a car or a home or some lame thing you bought with a credit card. Any one of us would love a debt erased. Yet we have the great news and the great message of this cosmic debt that hasn't been paid for us if we would have faith in Christ. What a great gift. But not only that, but we get to be the encouragement. We get to be brothers and sisters who declare this peace over each other every week. And every week we do it at this table, right? Every week as we take this bread in our hand which represents his body, Christ has laid himself here at this table reminding us what he has done for us at great cost to himself to bring peace. And you may 
doubt it. But I get to declare to you that you have peace with Christ. Aaron, you have peace with Christ, bro. And you get to declare to me that I have peace with Christ. And as we walk in here, not knowing what week any of us just had, and our faith waning and giving way, the community of believers that God has gathered today get to proclaim over each other and encourage each other that Christian, brother, sister, you have peace with Christ. And it's in Christ that you've been given this peace with God the Father. Such great news. Your sins have been blotted out and we are now at peace. I'm going to close with this hymn. His reconciling sacrifice hath answered all demands and peace and pardon from the skies come to us by his hands. Tis by thy death we live, O Lord. Tis on thy cross we rest. Forever be thy love adored, thy name forever blessed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for what you've done for us, and we, we can't say that enough. I feel like I say that all the time, but Lord, it is so true, and my words don't even do it justice. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you have done for us. And Lord, my prayer now is the same uh, as I prayed in the beginning. I pray that this truth would penetrate our hearts and penetrate our minds and that there would be a joy in us. There would be a light in our eyes as we look at our brothers and sisters in the eye in just a few short moments and we declare the peace of Christ that we have because of Jesus, what you've done for us and that you've drawn us near. And we're so grateful that those who have been drawn near to God are then being changed and molded into his image and being sanctified through the power of the Spirit. Lord, be glorified as we gather around your table in fellowship with you, where we were once your enemies. Lord, now you invite us here to this table, and we are grateful for that. Pure glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.